1: Hi, this is Mike with Rogue Media Network. As Texas opens back up, some of our shows have chosen to continue to record from remote locations. Some of our other shows have started recording in studio with very few people observing social distancing. Thanks for listening, and please be safe.
0: Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us on Tragedy Plus Time. Everything's fine. I am your host, Summershine. This is a Rogue Media Network production. On this podcast, we're going to explore the deep wounds of tragedy, the way folks just like you survived said tragedy, and the nuances that we reflect on that now make us laugh. We're going to laugh, we're going to cry, and we're going to hear stories of profound survival, even when it didn't seem like it was possible. Sit back, buckle up, and get ready for the ride.
1: Welcome to Tragedy Plus Time. Everything's fine. I'm your host, Summer Shine. (laughs) just kidding. I'm your host, Chrissy Rivers. I am season two's new co-host, so um, I'm really glad to be here. Uh, This is a Rogue Media Network production. And today, we are flipping the script, and I'm going to be interviewing our Founding host.
0: Founding host. Founding I like host. that. I, I, mean, I like that. I was
1: trying to think of a way to say it.
0: Call me uh, Madam please.
1: President. Oh nope. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I had to stop and think about it. Yeah, I like, did. Am I willing? To no. no. Uh, there was
0: like a two-second delay though, where you maybe processing. were willing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. I mean. If we could, like, co-president. Yeah, co.
0: Maybe I'll be vice because I think you'd be a better president. I'm certain that's not true. <laughs> I think the vice president's are the one that pulls all the chains, and you're just the pretty face. I think the real oh, president, yeah, is just the one who yeah, smiles I'm, and waves, kisses babies. Then I'm down. Yeah, I'm, and then the vice president like works, manipulates. <laughs> Yeah, works works that's the word I was looking for works thing, works
1: manipulates yeah 2020 in America thank you same thing <laughs> oh this is gonna be fun this is gonna be fun <laughs> so it's also you guys should know that you know we're we're still in the middle of a or the end I guess of lockdown and pandemic so this is the first time we've gotten to be in the same it place is. yes and actually do this
0: together super exciting feels better it does already feel
1: better right i can
0: see this being the good season <laughs> you know you know like the together season we're we're gonna
1: we're gonna make it like the meat
0: we are yeah yeah it's good although season one kicks butt
1: season one was all right it, it was pretty I good mean, there was some pretty compelling guests on season. yeah five. it's pretty dope yeah you know yeah which brings me to you okay so um like you You've dropped some nuggets in, along season one about um, your past, Yeah. you know, um, when you spoke with the young woman who experienced sex trafficking, for yeah. instance, you talked a little bit about um, some of your experience with that, but I'm not sure if everybody who listens knows where you come from and yeah. who you are and how do you know these people who are, you know, you're, you're in the- How do I have a community? gaggle of super shady friends? <laughs> exactly you know, yeah where do you meet these prostitutes it's my <laughs> super <laughs> shady past <laughs> are you Jesus or? Yeah, maybe a little bit of both um so we want to know about you yeah I, I want to know about you so how like tell us you know the where do you come from and um you know just like the beginnings of yeah you who's know, summer
0: yeah um. Well, it was a cold, rainy night. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, it was a Friday night in Texas, so everybody was at a football game, except for my poor mother, who was pushing her eight-pound daughter out. And um, <laughs> I was born in Central Texas. I was born and raised in Central Texas. Um, and it was, I had a um, weird childhood. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame my childhood for the things that happened as I grew up, but I do like to talk about it because my father was highly abusive. He was a very physically abusive person and he was also, um, I, I think emotionally abusive because it was either up or down. We were either, he was the best dad ever, or he was locking you in the bathroom for a weekend to hold you hostage while he was gonna telling you he's gonna kill your mom you know like that is terrifying it's super terrifying it's super terrifying and he didn't have a drinking problem or a drug problem or anything that you could point at and be like oh that's the reason he hits us and so I grew up my whole life with this like idea that my dad just hated us and so he he beat the crap out of us um and and Also, there was very early on, there was, um, some sexual abuse by an older, um, person and, um, about 10 years older than me. And, um, because of that sexual abuse, um, I learned very early on that sex was, uh, was good for trade. Mm. Um, I was four, they were teenager and, um, I was, you know, just told that, uh, We're going to do these things. This is what adults do when they love each other. And then I tried to approach the situation again later and was rejected. So I learned this. You tried
1: to approach the person?
0: Correct. Yeah. Uh, You were too old. uh, Were you too old at that point? No, 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 no. I was, it was just months later. They had started to feel guilt and shame for what they had done. Uh, And so they said, ooh, that's gross. Wow. Whenever I tried the next time. So
1: you have an abusive parent. Correct. And you think this guy just hates us. Right. Which makes you probably question your value. Oh yeah. As a human being. For sure. And then the sexual abuse happens. Right. Which has got to layer on the self-loathing or, you know. Oh yeah.
0: Doubt. Well, I mean, I'm like five years old feeling sexual rejection, which sends me into this like, oh yeah, sends me into this tailspin of maybe if I got better at it, Mm -hmm. You know, maybe if I was good at this thing Um, and I learned, so I learned about sex at a very young age. So tons of fun. That was, uh, exploring sexuality at five years old is a weird, weird, weird thing. Um, but I learned that it was, there was trade there. I learned that you could trade for things. And, um, so, and I, and I say all of this because I have five brothers and sisters and all of them went through the same kind of abuse that I did as a child. I don't know about the sexual abuse. We, they are all much older than I am. And so there wasn't a lot of camaraderie when we were younger, but they did go through the same physical abuse for my dad and that emotional abuse. And none of them are addicted to drugs or alcohol. So
1: really interesting. Yeah, that's 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 a powerful. It is kind of testimony.
0: It is because one of the things I don't think we talk enough about as addicts and alcoholics. I think we tend to blame our past, blame our childhood, Mm -hmm. say, well, if this thing hadn't happened. But the fact of the matter is, is that 10% of the adult population are addicts or alcoholics based on a chemical imbalance in their body. Wow. I have a physical allergy to alcohol, an allergy is an abnormal reaction. Mm-hmm. My abnormal reaction manifests in addiction, right you know yeah. alcoholism. Mm-hmm. My brothers and sisters don't have that thing wow, you That's know incredible yeah, and so I really like to I really like to say that because i'm I'm telling you about my past because it it did affect the way that I saw the world, mm-hmm. but it didn't make me an addict or an alcoholic right, right. so um and I've known lots of people who have had sexual abuse in, or physical abuse or all uh, abuse in their childhood and are not addicts and alcoholics. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah.
1: I think it's really easy for me still with 12 years of recovery to slip into the idea, you know? Right. When I'm when I'm not at my best, I can definitely think you know, well, God, if these things hadn't happened, you know, I probably would be better. Right. So it's always good to like be in communication with other people in recovery (laughs) and be reminded that, you know, that's probably not the case. Right. I was literally inconsolable always. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) From the time I was a small child. Okay. I
0: needed something to fix my problem. Yeah. All of my life. Yeah. Yes. My whole life. Yeah. I needed a little bit more attention than everybody. Absolutely, You know, and, um, I will say this, that, um, and as we get further into my story, there are some, um, there are some things about, uh, prostitution and being a called girl. And, um, 95% of women who end up in the commercial sex industry do have sexual abuse in their childhood.
1: Oh, wow, That does not surprise me one little
0: bit. Right. Because it,
1: it's, you do learn. Right. To use yourself your own sexuality as a commodity. Yeah. In in that way, right. You know, when you've been when you've been abused, right. I'm, that completely makes sense. Right. I I I always wondered how did I know at you know,
0: right at 17
1: or 18 that I should be, you know, selling myself, right. And yeah, that just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, so
0: those are some sad statistics, mm-hmm. you know, that um, Heartbreaking. yeah, yeah. That we don't have a lot to blame our addicts, our, our addiction, and our alcoholism on, um, except for a chemical imbalance. But mm-hmm. if you have been sexually abused, there is a you know good possibility that you learn sex and trade. So, um, really sad, really sad statistics. But I've looked a lot into this because now I help women. But we'll get there too. Yeah. So, okay. <clears throat> so I um, grew up. Uh, my, my mom ended up getting remarried when I was ten. The man is salt of the earth. He is like the coolest. He's the best example I could have of how a man can love a woman, even though her kids are crazy and her, she's, my mom's a little crazy too. Love you, mom, if you're listening, but I doubt it. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Last week, Chrissy was like, my mom listens to every single one of these I do. And I was like, oh, I know. I'm glad my mom doesn't listen to all of these. She'd be a little embarrassed, you know? Uh, but, um, and so my mom remarried and we had a, we had a really good life with him. Um, I ended up, uh, I started drinking whenever I was 12 or 13 years old. My dad had gotten remarried and he married a woman who had two older daughters. They were like 17 and 18 and they listened to Randoran Duran and, um, Depeche Mode and The Cure and they were super cool and had really high teased up bangs and I wanted to be just like them. And they drank on the weekends with my parents. Okay. And the first time I drank, I got drunk. I got sloppy, sloppy drunk and I've never not gotten drunk when I drank yes. since then, okay. my entire life. It's never been, I can have a glass of wine with dinner. Mm. I drink, I can have a bottle of wine with dinner and then another bottle when I get home and drink until I pass out. I've never been a, I've never even tried to be real honest with you. Some people are like, well, I changed to beer or I changed to this kind of liquor. And I'm like, no, no, no. I knew I was going to get trash. So it was, how can I slow down the process? Mm. How can I not be drunk by 10 PM? Okay, when we go to the bar. Wow, you know, Um, so that was I am a I'm a the real deal alcoholic. I love alcohol. In high school, I figured out that it was through a series of treatment facilities, you know, I'd get caught with a joint, my mom would send me to rehab, which is exactly what she was trained to do. And she should have done and I would condone that. Now, Um, even with all the ex quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes expertise Mm -hmm. I have, I would still say, you know, your kids should probably get some education on addiction and alcoholism if they're headed in that direction. Um, so she'd send me to rehab and I'd learn about new and exciting drugs and <laughs> drugs were much easier to get than alcohol was. Oh, for sure. When I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So, um, I started dabbling with cocaine and methamphetamines and anything really that I could get my hands on. And I would find that I didn't like some things and I wouldn't do them again, but I sure did like uppers. Mm. And so, um, yeah. Oh, 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 oh. oh, you think I'm crazy now. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> I'm super crazy. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, I, um, started dabbling in uppers and I found that I really liked them at 19. I moved out when I was, uh, just about to turn 16 years old. I moved out, moved to Austin and was there, um, well into my adulthood. Um, I got pregnant whenever I was 19. And for the first time in my life, I wanted to stay sober for real, for real. Like I loved my son so much. He is the just the most amazing person I've ever met in my life. It's crazy, because you and I, I know, I'm are like, almost the same age. This is my story. Today. Yes, pregnant yes. At night. I'm
1: 41 now, pregnant at 19. Right. I'm I mean, like,
0: we are literally just parallel lives. Yeah. We also look a lot alike. I mean, so... yeah, guys, do you see our picture? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we've dated some of the same guys. Yes, we have. And so anyway. I was first. <laughs> That was a terrible thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> we edit
1: that out, right? <laughs> yeah, right. rogue <laughs> <Her> media. Hey, hey, not gonna This is good. Please don't edit that out. Okay, so. Um, All right. <laughs> uh, so
0: you're. I have my son. I'm 19. Son. Yeah. He is the light of my life. I can't imagine ever being away from this child and I'm scared to death that I'm going to lose him. And so I want to stay sober. Mm-hmm. And five days after he's born, I'm high again. The most incredible thing happens in my life. The most important thing ever to happen in my life happened. And I still couldn't make the choice not to drink or use. Mm-hmm. So we end up in a series of rehabs. I, um, can I'm,
1: I'm just going to hold you up for just a second there. Okay. So the most important thing happens in your life. You, you're sure you can not use because you love him so much. Right. And that you, and then you use again. Mm -hmm. What, why does that happen?
0: That happens because I have a chemical imbalance in my body Mm -hmm. that causes me to react differently to drugs and alcohol than most people do. Yeah. Um, and I cannot make the choice to stop or to stay stopped. There's no one that you can, that, that can love you. No human aid. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. With Kizik Hans' free shoes, Motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of Motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Right. There's not a human, there's not a husband, there's not a child, there's not a job, there's not a car, there's not the threat of losing everything. Um, consequences stack up, I get arrested. I know that if I go to court sober that they will just give me rehab and yet I drink or smoke crack mostly right the day before. Mm -hmm. And I know that CPS is coming the next day, but I still smoke crack. I know that my mom is coming to check on me and she'll take Hagen if I'm high, but I get high. Mm -hmm. And, um, at the time I didn't know about, um, this, this reaction that I have that's bodily different from my, from my fellows. Yeah. You know? Um, so I, I continue on with life pretty much in that that manner. I have uh, custody of Hagen until, I, I get mostly sober mm-hmm. for a long time. I'm living in Austin, I meet a man, I get mostly sober, I'm just drinking. And like I said, I'm a sloppy, sloppy, sloppy drunk, but it kept me away from crack. It kept mm-hmm. me away from meth, it kept me away from cocaine. For a extended period of time, for about four or five years, I didn't use anything—crack, meth, cocaine. Same. Um, I have to say, yeah. Skin but skin. I still drank, and I yeah. still smoked weed, and I mm-hmm. was still blackout drunk. But every, it was cute and funny. Yeah. That I would blackout drink. Yeah. Um, because I was also successful. I was a general manager at a really popular um, restaurant in oh. Austin, and I had a good career. And my husband was able to be a stay-at-home father. And so I it looked like on the outside things were okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never really did deal with that alcoholism and addiction. Um, my on my 27th birthday, I I started using again. Mm-hmm. And um I ended up, I think that was a Thursday, and by Sunday, I had drained both banks bank accounts and started renting out my car. And again, wow. um, when I was younger, I had realized when I was um 17, 16, 17, I had met an older man in a 12 step program who would, um, who groomed me to become, um, a call girl. Yeah. And so I'm so glad you're talking about this. I wanted
1: to talk about this, but I wasn't sure if
0: you were were open to it, you know? Yeah. I'm super open to it because, and I'm not bragging. I'm not trying to say, Hey, this is a cool thing that I did when I was younger. What I am saying is, uh, yeah, because it's not a cool thing. Yeah. It wasn't for me. I know some women who are in um, the sex trade by choice and they enjoy their lives that they live that Mm -hmm. way as as And we'll even
1: advocate for it as a career if you are so inclined.
0: Right, totally. I believe women have the right to sell their bodies if they want to. Yeah, me too. And I absolutely think that they should be taken care of and more safety measures should be put in place. I do not think it is a crime. Mm it was miserable for me. Mm -hmm. I hated it. Mm -hmm. I hated it. And I didn't want to do it. And, um, but I did, I I learned I could make money at a very young age. I mean, I was 17, 18 years old. By the time I had my son, um, it was important. It was one of the ways, you know, I was waiting tables. Um, and it was a great supplement for income. Mm -hmm. And then when I met my first husband, all of that went away, you know, I, I, I um, really pressed into work. I became a general manager, and I really wanted to do the right thing by my family. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> he ended up leaving. We, we had had another kid by that time, um, so I had a second son. He took my youngest son, and they left, and I'm glad that they did. He yeah. never had to see my addiction. My youngest son didn't.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, we are not close. He They live in Arkansas. He has a wonderful life up there, and so it's not this... Um, I, I, I liken it to like an open adoption. Mm -hmm. Like he's a parent. I I see him. I call him on his birthday. I send him money, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't have anything to do with his upbringing. You know, I get to pop in once or twice a year and say, happy birthday. Let's go have fun. Yeah. You know, um, which is, which is great. They live a really wonderful life. Um, and so, and my youngest son, my oldest son, um, went to live with my mom for a few years and, um, eventually I decided I don't want to live that way anymore. I moved to Waco. I met a man, mm-hmm. got married and had a really, really, really good life. Um, and about, uh, three years into our marriage, three or four years into our marriage, um, I just had a, uh, I, we had opened a sober living house for women <clears throat> and it had been shut down. We opened it, it was open for about six months and it got shut down. The business, the rehab that we, we were associated to closed down. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of had this moment where I had been out in the public so much and I had talked about this thing so much and I had done all this work and now it was going away and I felt really embarrassed. Oh. And so I, I went inside and I closed the curtains and I, you know, turned the phone off and I isolated from society. And it was only a matter of time before I thought, well, I'll just smoke a little weed. Mm-hmm that'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And I managed that well for about two weeks. (laughs) Yeah, Thank you. Thanks for the laugh. (laughs) Anybody else that's tried this before is laughing at home right now. Other people are like, this is tragic. (gasps) Why would she be sober and married and have a great life and go drink or smoke (laughs) weed again? You know, like there is somebody out there grasping their pearls right now because they're wondering Why the hell? Yeah, why do these people do this? Why do they do this? Why do addicts continue to run their heads through the wall over and over? They know it's a
1: wall. Yeah. It's a compulsion. It is a compulsion. And if it's not treated daily. Right. Spiritually. Daily. Then you never know what day it's going to pop up That's right. You know? That's right. I mean, it is just a sleeping giant. Yeah.
0: But I think it's funny that you made it two weeks. Yeah. Oh. Me I feel too. Like that's pretty good. I know. Me too. <laughs> I was very proud of myself. <clears throat> that entire two weeks, I remember, I was sitting on my bed rolling a joint one night, and my husband walked in, who has got twenty years sober now. Mm-hmm. He, my my he, yes, he's got twenty <laughs> years sober, and um, he now at the time he had like uh, 14, 13 or fourteen years sober, mm-hmm. and he walks in the bedroom, and he says, "I don't think that's going to turn out very well for you," and I was like, huh, "I'll show him." Well, I did. Um, I ended up you know drinking a couple of weeks later, which led to smoking crack and smoking meth and I went into this year and a half relapse that was I was in and out of treatment facilities. I lost everything Hagen, hey, uh, my son ended up moving in with his dad <clears throat> and it was just this really terrible downward spiral and um I ended up in New Orleans, barefoot. if you're gonna be drinking and getting high, listen. <laughs> If you want to come to the end of yourself, why would
1: you not?
0: It's the best place to do it in New Orleans, Louisiana. Let me just tell you, it oh, is really? the best place to do it. Yeah, I was there for a while and um, I was surviving by you know, uh, prostituting, and that's how I was getting my drugs in my hotel rooms. And um, it was just the most miserable life that a person could possibly live. I could not feel any lower than I did every day when I woke up when I came to, Mm -hmm. um, I could not feel any lower than I did the moment of exchange whenever money was handed to me and I was told what to do. Um, it was terrible. And I wanted to die every single day. And I tried, I made some really concerted efforts to die. There were some that were just very intentional suicide attempts. And then there were some that were just accidentally I was in a bad place at a bad time and got myself into a lot of trouble, you know, and I ended up in the hospital. There was, um, a seven week period where I ended up in the hospital eight times and I woke up in the operating room. One of the times, I mean, I was really trying, Mm -hmm. I was really, really trying. Um, and one, one night I am walking home from the hospital and I'm in a dark alley in, because I wouldn't take the main streets in new Orleans because there was too much light there. Wow. And I didn't want to be in the light. I wanted um, to be in the dark. I was living in the dark and that's where I wanted to be. So I would take these alleys. That's almost poetic.
1: I mean, you know, tragically so. But tragically
0: so. Yeah. Correct. So I'm in an alley and um, I am barefoot. I'm carrying my heels. I have just left the hospital room. I still have a hospital bracelet. And um, this figure steps out from a doorway. It, like this slimy, slinky, six foot nine dark figure. I can't see a face. I can't see any features steps out from a doorway and starts to reach out for me. And I know in that moment that I'm going, I know in that moment that my life is about to end and I am happy. I'm like, he's taken me to the swamps, take me to the bayou. I want to be dead there. You know, like I don't want them ever to find my body. Mm-hmm. And so He starts to reach out for me, and a flash of lightning strikes him. And I hear the words "run," and I took off. So, oh my god, I got chills. Yeah, (laughs) I've
1: never heard that.
0: You've never heard this? No. Yeah, this is a uh, wow. Yeah, I went back to Texas the next day. Oh my god, that's incredible! I run into my hotel room. I run which is physically impossible at that point. Cause I haven't eaten in days. I haven't drank water. I'm emaciated. I weigh 112 pounds. Like literally, mm-hmm. um, my extensions are probably the heaviest thing on my body. You know, yeah. um, I run into my hotel room, slam the door. It's four o'clock in the morning. And some, one of my friends from Waco calls me and cool. says, I don't know what's going on, but God told me to call you. It's time to come home. And it was this series of, I had just left the emergency room and signed a DNR by the way. I had signed because the nurse had seen me three days in a row and he was sick of me.
1: Mm. And I was like,
0: why do you keep resuscitating me? And he said, we can take care of that. Sign this DNR. So I signed the DNR. The incident happens in the alley. I get back to my hotel room and at four o'clock in the morning, my friend who has three children is awake at 4 a.m. to call me and say, it's time to come home. Wow. Wow. And so I did, I was like, okay, God Yeah, heard you loud and clear. (laughs) I see you. I I was like, Oh, those were signs that I could not ignore. Right. And it was like, I saved your life again and again. And and I hunted you down Mm -hmm. in a disgusting alley in Mm -hmm. new Orleans. Are you going to come or not? Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I think I'll come right and that was almost 7 years ago that's amazing and i haven't had a drink or drug since then hallelujah oh, i know that's so cool i know so cool i know and i've done a lot of hard work to do that i'm not saying like mm-hmm. all of a sudden my obsession was relieved it yeah. absolutely was not yeah. i've done a ton of work i am in a 12 step program um as you know i started a business when i had 6 months sober mm-hmm a juice bar in Waco called Luna juice. It was super, super successful. I actually sold it at the beginning of the year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Sold it at the beginning of the year. Um, I started a recovery house for women whenever I had three years sober. Yeah. Um, That's still running sunshine recovery house. Check it out online www.sunshinerecoveryhouse.com. Please yes. follow us on Instagram. Absolutely. Um, and we started a social enterprise mm-hmm. from Sunshine Recovery House called Unshakeable Milkshakes. That is
1: right, and they are so good. Oh Milkshakes
0: the size of a
1: small child. Yeah. I mean, come They're on, delicious. There's like these huge. Co- I mean, I could do a whole podcast about. <laughs> we should interview a milkshake next time. <laughs> I'm chunky. (laughs) Same.
0: (laughs) We we figured one time we were having coffee together and we realized that the guy that we dated mutually, the same guy that we dated definitely has a type. I mean, <laughs> it is us. It is us for real. <laughs> I know. He's
1: got such good taste. He does have good does taste. I know he really does have yeah. good taste. And thank God know. for him.
0: Yeah. You know? Oh, I love and, him. Well, and Leanna. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 Anyway, that's another story for another yeah. day. <laughs> another story for another day. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh a lot of really cool things have happened in my life since then. I've I'll just say. You know, it's been an amazing journey, and all I had to do was surrender which is the hardest thing I've ever done. Absolutely. You know, mm-hmm. um, and so. Because you do hear like culturally
1: that you should continue to fight. Right. You know, There is a, I can't, I mean, anytime I'm listening to anything that's like, you know, self development or professional development or whatever, there's almost always some sort of indicator, you know, right, to continue to fight and hold on and you yeah. know. And my instinct anymore is just to automatically reject that because yes. I know that what will actually further me is surrender and release, yes. you know, yes. and that there's more that will come into my life with peace, you know, when I'm not struggling. Yeah. When I have that kind of spiritual attitude of whatever, yeah. you know, like that's when neat things like you come along, yeah. you know? Yeah. But as long as I'm trying to fight and hold on for dear life, I sort of am, you know, drowning myself. Right. And that's what I
0: was going to say is people who are in the middle of the ocean, people who struggle and fight for their lives in the middle of the ocean drown. Exactly. And people who don't struggle float. Yes. Yes. Oh, you know yeah that's a good visual yeah. that's something my I, you know i'm in a 12-step program as well mm-hmm. and i have a sponsor and she says are you floating or are you fighting oh and i'm like oh i'm fighting what do you think <laughs> god what do you think
1: i'm fighting duh. <laughs> i'm calling you so we can figure this out <laughs> <laughs> she's
0: like get on the raft and float my friend. right right I'll float. I'll float. um but i i I talk about my story because I want other women to know mm-hmm. that it's not the end. You Amen. know, like if there's another woman out there right now who is in the middle of her addiction, who is selling her body tonight so that she can have a place to stay or provide for her family or provide for her addiction, mm-hmm. I just wanted to know there's another way. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. and then your story is not over. If you're still alive, still breathing breath, woo! story's not over. Absolutely. There is always hope. Mm-hmm. You are still alive. There is always hope. And for the family of the addict and alcoholic. You know, my mom, just right before I got sober, one of the last emails she sent me was, I don't even know what your favorite flower is. Which ones would you like me to have at your funeral? Oh. Yeah. Wow. So my mom was planning my funeral.
1: Wow. You know?
0: That's heavy. So, um, but life is good today. It is good, isn't it? It
1: is. So if there's one thing that you want people to know, Mm -hmm. maybe from your story or like one I don't know what 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 would you tell people about
0: never give up yeah never give up I tried to get sober for 20 years I wanted to get sober for 20 years um and it that's incredible and I finally did yeah you know like I finally did Mm -hmm. And and the fact of the matter is I tried so often that I really was sober much more of my adult life than I was high Yeah. You know? Which is another thing that's really pretty important to
1: drive home to people who are constantly slipping. Yeah. You know? Because you are gaining ground. Yes. Every single time. Yes. You just set it down for a little while. That's right. You know what I mean? That's right. That experience in those two days or two months or two years or whatever. Is not
0: lost. That's right. Because you relapse. That's right. There are some people who will hold to the idea that you have to be 100% abstinent to be sober. Yeah. And I, and, and I think that uh, relapse is part of my story and so I know that it is part of other people's stories Mm -hmm. and um, I would get like my brother used to say if your relapses can become shorter and your times of sobriety can become longer we're winning yes you're winning yes and I totally believe that me too I totally think let's just what are we calling it now? Flatten the curve. Yeah, <laughs> you know how I feel about flattening the curve. On, get out there and let people get it. I shouldn't say that. Let's delete that. Yeah. <laughs> we have all this hate mail. Our podcast all of a sudden became very popular. Oh my god, these crazy people yeah. <laughs>
1: from Texas yeah. totally, totally. These Texas people are ridiculous. <laughs> <This is great. laughs> that was awesome
0: well this has been really fun yeah, yeah. totally yeah. yeah thanks for having me on the show <laughs> that's what i said oh, yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: you're not a guest
1: dummy yeah come <laughs> on yeah this anyway. is awesome such a yeah. good such a really compelling story i've always wanted to know you know like yeah. the stuff that kind of triggered your you know yeah sobering up yeah there and it is. is fascinating yeah so thanks
0: so, yeah i think we have a really cool season too coming up maybe don't you think too we've got yeah. some really neat stuff absolutely um, so you guys should tune in yeah we're talking about church and church lgbtq yeah um maybe maybe
1: some other stuff yeah I mean, clearly we're talking about sex
0: yeah <laughs> or let's talk about sex baby <laughs> let's talk about you and, and me let's, let's talk, talk about, about all the good, good things and the
1: bad things, bad things that me. <laughs> I'm only talking she about sings. it. I'm, not, I'm talking about it, singing about it. I'm not having it.
0: Guys, thanks again for listening. You are amazing. This show is nothing without your support. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, please hit the subscribe button and show us some love. My name is Summershine. You can find me on all the social meds or check out my website at SummershineSpeaks.com to hear more about what's going on in my world. A huge shout out to Rogue Media Network for all their time, love, and support. Wouldn't even be a thing without these guys. Make sure you check out their other shows and tune in again next week. A special thanks to Fish Hands for our theme music. If you like what you heard, please hop on over to Bandcamp and check out more from them. Remember, your story isn't over yet. You're still here for a reason. This tragedy is just one of the spaces in your life, and there is life on the other side. You'll make it out alive. You know how I know? I did. Peace out.
1: Hello, I'm Ann Harder. Central Texas Living has found a new home on the Rogue Media Network in a podcast. Join me each week as I talk to a new guest from our community that you may know or have always wanted to. We'll talk about exciting events, progress, changes in our little part of the world, and much more. And if you've got people you'd love to hear from on the podcast, just drop me a line at ann at roguemedianetwork.com. This show you've loved over the years on television is now available Anywhere you get your podcasts, subscribe today, and we'll see you next time on Central Texas Living. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.